From the virtual newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, October 30th. I'm Brian Walsh. Today, I'm joined by Amy Cortese to discuss the turning financial tide on clean energy. Hi, Amy. Hi, Brian. And later, we'll hear from this week's agent of impact, Keisha Cash, whose Impact America Fund just raised $55 million. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. In emerging markets, banks are not banking small businesses. In South Africa, Zambia, Kenya, Ghana, and elsewhere, even guarantees and multi-billion dollar relief packages are not changing banks' lending practices. Impact Alpha has a package of guest posts on fintech startups, alternative lenders, and other non-banks that are positioned to step up and fill the gap. Distributing capital is one thing, distributing power is another. Impact investors are using donor-advised funds to shift power to people and communities. The Cataly Foundation's $50 million environmental justice initiative convened grassroots environmental justice organizers from the U.S. and Puerto Rico, all of them women of color, to decide on grants and investments. Candide Group's Olamina Fund is giving a vote on investments to an advisory committee representing financial institutions led by women and people of color. Meg Massey has some more examples on Impact Alpha. Exxon's value is eroding. Since 2007, the once blue-chip stock has returned less than 1% a year to shareholders. That's according to Carbon Tracker. The fossil fuel laggard is due to report another loss this week. And the Rockefeller Foundation committed $1 billion to clean energy and healthcare for COVID recovery. The three-year commitment aims to scale distributed renewable energy across emerging markets boost access to COVID-19 tests and vaccines, and strengthen public health systems to prevent future outbreaks. I'm joined again by Amy Cortese, who wrote this week about how economics trumps politics when it comes to the transition to clean energy. Amy, the journalist Michael Kinsley famously defined a political gaffe as when a politician accidentally tells the truth. Joe Biden was accidentally honest in the last presidential debate when he said, quote, I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Then he tried to walk back those comments. Now, Amy, you wrote this week that Biden shouldn't be so defensive on those comments. Right, Brian. Political campaigns are trailing indicators. The fact is markets and investors have already voted to accelerate a transition away from oil and gas and towards solar, wind, and batteries. I mean, if you just look around, investors are pouring billions into clean tech. There's been $4.7 billion invested so far in 2020, which is almost double the rate of last year. And this is driven not by politics, but by economics. Solar and wind are cheaper than fossil fuels to develop in most markets already today. Oil prices are at record lows, and it's, it's increasingly an unprofitable business. And also, you have dozens of fracking companies that have gone bust and oil majors that have written off tens of billions in value. Speaking of fracking, Biden did not say he would ban fracking as he is worried about voters in Pennsylvania. Yes. Um, again, though, it's it's not Biden's policy or any kind of new green deal that's killing fracking. They're doing it all by themselves. It's, it's the low price of oil that, that puts drilling below break even. And if you look at Pennsylvania, there are 74,000 clean energy jobs compared to just 23,000 petroleum-related jobs. And in Texas, wind companies are hiring laid-off oil and gas workers. So the politics will change as it becomes clearer that green energy is where the jobs are. 
climate finance has been sold in recent years at about 500 or 600 billion dollars. Now that's at most a third of what experts say we need to get to net zero emissions by 2050, if not sooner. Have we really finally hit the tipping point? Yeah, um, it's it's kind of early to say, Brian, because for one, a lot of investment took a hit this year with COVID, but there is a huge amount of activity. We, you know, there are dozens of these SPACs, um, special purpose acquisition companies, that have raised billions of dollars to go out and look for companies to buy, and they're finding electric vehicles, batteries, charging networks, energy efficiency and all sorts of opportunities in what's being called distributed, digitized, and decarbonized electricity. Distributed, digitized, and decarbonized electricity? That's quite the mouthful. Yeah, sorry, that is a mouthful. But Brian, Biden's climate plan calls for reaching net zero emissions by 2050 at the latest. That would entail an unprecedented overhaul of our energy infrastructure and greatly expand onshore wind and utility-scale solar. On the other hand, a Trump win would absolutely dash any hopes of reaching net zero emissions or decarbonizing the power sector before 2050. And yet most climate scientists say that making the shift by 2050 isn't quite fast enough. One step at a time, Brian. We'll know soon enough, I guess, if the U.S. government will be working with or against investors and the public on this. Well, I guess. In the meantime, thanks for joining us, Amy. My pleasure, Brian. Now it's time for this week's Agent of Impact, Keisha Cash, the founder of the Impact America Fund. Impact Alpha featured Keisha back in October 2018. I caught up with Keisha this week following the close of her second fund at $55 million. Congratulations on closing your second fund. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Impact America Fund. Sure. Uh, Impact America Fund uh, is structured like a traditional venture capital fund. We have a 10-year life. Uh, we have LPs. Uh, what's unique about our early stage venture fund is that for each of our investments, in addition to uh, the rigor that one would hope an investor would do in, in terms of assessing whether or not a deal was a good deal. We're also looking at whether or not we believe the companies we're investing in can create an outsized impact on low and moderate income communities in America. So it's a super exciting to wake up every day to use my finance hat. And uh, my career has been working in finance, have my MBA, but to take that and marry that with um, thinking about how to scale impact. And why is it that you think other investors overlook these entrepreneurs and these opportunities? I, honestly, I, I, I believe, um, you know, I, I think it, for me, it has been a blessing. Um, I grew up low income in Orange County, California. Uh, and so I got to see the best of, of all worlds, so to speak. I got to learn what it meant to uh, make uh, uh, life happen with very little resources. And so if you think about innovation often comes from lack. Um, so there is some beauty in the world of not having a lot um, and having to navigate without a lot. Um, and it requires a certain hustle and a certain way of, of, of thinking about um, cash flow management. And so that experience growing up low income has been um, valuable, but it also came with its pain uh, and not having enough and having to find more and always thinking about a cash shortfall. Uh, and so, you know, on the other side of it, I was able to attend a great public uh, high school where most of the, 
the kids in my high school, their parents could have honestly afforded to put them in a private school. And they, they chose, uh, thankfully for us, um, they chose to a attend a, a, a great public school and made sure that there was the proper uh, tools and resources for students there. And so I grew up with um, that perspective and point of view. And then I took that with me uh, when I attended UC Berkeley as an undergrad and worked on Wall Street and then moved you know, my, my way into to venture capital. And I think, um, I think we underestimate the importance of cultural competency um, and where our perspectives actually come from. And that matters. Every day, every investor that is investing, um, whether they're focused on a specific industry or they're agnostic, they're bringing their own personal perspective and lens uh, to that investment analysis. So I, I think that um, in addition to there not being enough uh, women and people of color in venture, um, I think it's more nuanced than that and that the people who often are in venture, they come from, you know, very kind of traditional finance backgrounds or they worked at a company, which is all great and important skill set. But it's really rare to have people that uh, come from, you know, low income backgrounds that really understand the challenges of community and have spent enough time in community to then bring that perspective back to, to their investment analysis. And many of your limited partners are social justice focused foundations, uh, but you also have uh, traditional, uh, if you will, wealth managers and other fiduciary bound backers backing your fund. Uh, what is it that you think uh, drove them to to back your fund? We are, again, we are, we are trying to prove that if done right, you can truly integrate impact um, at, into the business model. We call this inherent impact, um, whereby the uh, impact strategy is, is a competitive advantage for the company, right? As you get that right, as you, you know, for Care Academy, as the home care agencies that they work with, as they have better retention um, and better trained workers, that's better for their business. And of course, they continue to pay, you know, in that case on a monthly basis um, to use Care Academy software. And so we are looking for those opportunities where impact drives business growth, um, where it drives financial performance and it positions our companies to be um, have a unique competitive advantage competitive advantage in the future. And so that that strategy will attract folks who can see on both sides, who believe that that is possible to integrate. Some folks are like, hey, that's great if you give us, you know, a, a, an awesome financial return. But what we really care about is the impact. And then there are others that are like, this is brilliant. And we can completely see, right, how we can um, we can make a high return and by investing in high growth businesses that care both about uh, financial outcomes and impact. And I had a, one of my LPs uh, told me, he said, look, I, I invest in venture funds and I invest in early stage deals and it's all it all comes with risk. And so why wouldn't I invest in this? He actually says, I actually sleep better at night knowing um, in addition to the risk I'm taking, I can actually have, do something good for the world. And so, you you know, our, our, our diverse space of 67 LPs reflect a lot of different perspectives on how um, this business uh, can be done in terms of our strategy to invest. But they all agree that we have some challenging problems here in the U.S. We have systemic issues that need to be disrupted, and they're all investing, certainly for that reason. What is it as an investor that you know that other investors don't know? What's your uh, your competitive advantage? We know that there is ample opportunity to invest in and make money by doing so in underserved and under-resourced communities. 
you know, when you take a step back and you look at where, you know, poor people unfortunately spend more money because they're poor than not, there's a tax on being poor. Uh, and, it, and, it, and that tax is across many different industries. And typically for spending more money, you're getting less quality services and products. And so if you think about investment as an opportunity and where you can find value, um, you know, we know that. And so it's a matter of having a longer term view of unleashing that and tapping into that um, and unlocking that. Um, but we know that. And, and that's, you know, what wakes um, me and, and my team up every day. That's why our LPs invested. And that's honestly where the richest opportunity is. Now, unlocking that. Um, and our goal has been, you know, since we started this, we want more capital to run into these markets. Uh, but we want that capital to run into the markets in a way that creates more value for the community versus the continuation of extraction and exploitation in some cases, many cases, unfortunately. How do we reshape, redistribute, reimagine the, the, the economic pie so that more people are, 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 are well off and can afford to take care of their families? That's the real goal of this. And we know that's possible. And thankfully, with technology and the types of founders that we're investing in that have spent, you know, 10 years plus in industry, building their skill set, their knowledge base and their love, that plus their love for the community that they serve. We know it's possible. Uh, it will take time to accomplish, you know, the lofty goals that we have, but it's possible, it's doable and it's, you know, it's happening every day in our world. That's great. All right, Keisha, thank you so much for taking the time. Congratulations on uh, closing your second fund. And uh, I look forward to being in touch. Thank you. You can see Keisha and all of our agents of impact on Instagram at Impact Alpha. That's going to do it for your impact briefing this week. You can read all of these stories at impactalpha.com. Subscribers receive the brief and full access to Impact Alpha content, including subscriber only agent of impact calls. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use code briefing 100 for $100 off. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Amy Cortese and our producer Isaac Silk. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact at the fintech company LiquidNet. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show right now. It really helps us reach more listeners. And if you're in the US, make sure you have a plan to vote. And make sure you check back next week for the latest impact investing news. Till then, take care and be safe.